0: revival and Iraq those are not two words that you often hear spoken of in the same sentence but we believe it man we believe it's happening we believe that God wants that for Iraq and so we're praying for it and I know many of you guys are praying for that as well so thank you I said this in the first service if you pray for us don't pray for our safety only I say only because Lindsay's mom's here and I know she wants you to pray for the safety of her daughter. We don't want to come back here and share with you testimonies of how safe we are. Pray bold prayers for us, man. pray that God would do incredible things around us, whether that's in Iraq or in America. Pray that revival would come to places like Baghdad. Pray that instead of hearing about American soldiers being targeted with Iranian missiles... You would read stories about thousands of Muslims getting saved and and finding their way into the church and professing Jesus even at the cost of their own lives. Pray these things with us. Believe these things with us. For those of you that don't know, my name is Neil Brewer. My wife, Lindsay, and I and our four kids, we live in Iraq, and this house is home for us. It's an honor for us to be able to stand here with y'all this morning and worship together. And just to say thank you. This house has meant so much to our family. Lindsay was raised here when, when Lindsay and I first started serving the Lord and really living for Him. This was the house that welcomed us in and laid a foundation that the Lord is now building on. So everything that you see happening in this video and you read about in our newsletters, It's a result of this family, so thank you. I honor this church so much. There are stories that I tell about being here that none of you guys will ever hear. The leadership of this church will never hear those stories, but I want you to know that we speak of this house with honor and respect and gratitude, so thank you for standing with us. So many of you guys pray for us and you financially support us. We want to say thank you. If you'd like to stand with us and support us or find out more about what's going on, you can do it on our website, ironkiteinternational.com. But I'm not here to talk about us. I feel that the Lord has something that he wants to speak to you guys this morning. Michael has begun a series on redemption. And I was so excited when Michael said, hey, man, would you come... And just continue this theme of redemption. And during that first service this morning, as I was standing before these faces that I recognize from years ago, I actually felt a little embarrassed because they know me and they know Lindsay. Like we've played and hung out with their kids. When we weren't living for Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Like they know me. I can go to another church and be the missionary. But I can't do that here. This house is our house. And then I thought to myself, what a beautiful picture of redemption. That's what redemption is, right? That's who I was. And you know that guy. And I can try to cover up the tattoos with long sleeves, but you still know that guy. But now I can stand in front of you and say, look what God is doing. That's redemption. So I love that I get to continue this message of redemption. When Michael began the series, he gave a definition of the word redemption that I think is beautiful. It's the action of being saved from sin and The action of regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. So as I see it, the definition of redemption has two phases to it. Being saved from sin and regaining possession of everything that you lost because of that sin. We're going to spend time this morning talking about that second phase of redemption. Turn with me to Hosea chapter 3. Now Hosea is an interesting guy. He's a prophet for the northern kingdom of Israel. And in chapter 1 of Hosea, the Lord begins to speak to him. He begins his prophetic ministry. And we see that Hosea is a really unique character in that his life embodies his message. So, hey, Hosea is not just walking around saying, thus saith the Lord. He's living out the message itself. It's like Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the same way. The Lord told Ezekiel to lie on his left side for 390 days to symbolize the 390 years that Israel had turned its back on the Lord. And then Ezekiel rolls on his right side for 40 days and prophesies judgment against Israel. These guys... They embodied the message that the Lord gave them to speak. Now, in chapter 1 of Hosea, we see that the Lord tells Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Hosea's marriage covenant with the former prostitute was to serve as a living testimony to Israel that they too have acted like the prostitute. They've turned their back on the covenant That they made with the Lord and they've joined themselves to other gods. Now unfortunately somewhere between Hosea chapter 1 and Hosea chapter 3, which we're going to read, Gomer leaves Hosea. Just like Israel has left the Lord. She goes back out into the streets. She sells herself again into prostitution. So we pick up the story in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love the woman who is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. Stop right there. Go again, love the woman who is committing adultery. Why on earth would God ask Hosea to do such a painful thing? Can you imagine the heartbreak And the shame Hosea has already experienced. And now God's telling him to go find the woman who's betrayed you and love her. Hosea's life is a living message to the people of God. He's not just telling them the word of the Lord. He embodies the word of the Lord. And the message is this. Our God is a God of redemption. You may have changed, but he hasn't. You may have broken your covenant with him, but he is a covenant-keeping God. You may have sold yourself to other lovers, but he's going to bring you back to himself because he loves you. Look at what Hosea does next in verse 2. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one-half homers of barley. Hosea. The man of God, he walks down to the red light district in his city where all sorts of wickedness is bought and sold. He finds his wife among the women selling themselves on the streets. He pushes his way past the perverted men, buying buying women for their own satisfaction, and there in the midst of all of this darkness and perversion, he makes eye contact with his wife. He gets out his wallet, and he pays the price for her that the street says that she's worth. How could he do this? Why would he endure such shame and embarrassment of buying something that used to belong to him anyway? It's because his life embodies a message, and the message is our God is a God of redemption. A God who pays full price to get back what his heart longs for. No matter the shame, no matter the humiliation, this story is a prophetic declaration of what one day would be done for you and I. Jesus would leave his home. He would come and pay the price to redeem us from our sin with the blood of his sacrifice He created us in his image and for his glory. We belong to him. Somewhere along the way, we sold ourselves to other lovers. We left home, we wandered off, and we joined ourselves to the world. But just like Hosea, Jesus came and found us. He left his home and he walked through the streets of whatever ugly sin we had sold ourselves into, and He bought us. He didn't have to, but He endured the shame. He endured the embarrassment of stooping down into the darkest regions of your sin. He paid the price to redeem us. In spite of the humiliation, in spite of the shame, he bought back what rightfully belonged to him. Now friend, I don't want to assume anything this morning. I don't want to assume that just because you're in church on a Sunday morning, you have received redemption. If like Gomer, you've wandered off and found yourself joined to the things of this world, hear this, Jesus loves you, He spilled His blood for you and He wants to save you from all of that madness. He paid full price for you. No amount of sin is too expensive for the blood of Jesus. Hear that. No amount of sin is too expensive for the blood of Jesus. Now, if that's all Jesus ever did then it would be more than enough. But I have great news. Redemption is not just the payment for sin. Look what happens next in our story with Hosea and Gomer. Verse 3. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. Translation, Gomer, you're coming home with me. Pack up your things. You're not living on the street anymore. You're coming home with me. See, Hosea doesn't just purchase Gomer. He brings her home. And friends, this is redemption. It's not just the payment for sin. Redemption is the exchange of everything that came as a result of sin for everything that comes as a result of the payment. I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't hear me. Redemption is the exchange of everything that came as a result of your sin for everything that comes as a result of the payment for the sin. Gomer doesn't just receive payment from Hosea and stop loving other men. She stops loving other men and she becomes a bride again. It's okay, you can say amen. You can say things like, Yes, I agree with that, brother. Our redemption is no different. When Jesus came and found me, I didn't just turn away from my life of sin. I turned away from my life of sin, and I became one with him. And now, like Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. My life is no longer my own. This life that I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me. And gave himself for me. Redemption means that we are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. The curse of Adam is broken. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus does not redeem. What is left of Adam's curse? That Jesus' sacrifice does not redeem. Let's personalize that for a minute. What area of your life is not redeemed by the death, burial, and resurrection of God himself? And is that a result of his sacrifice being ineffective or you not giving him everything that he paid for? Now here's a question to take home and chew on this week. Is Jesus' payment enough to redeem you from the curse of Adam Or are you holding on to something that he already paid for? The answer to that question will change your life. I heard a story that illustrates this point very well. It was told by a man named Graham Cook. Now Graham Cook had a terrible childhood. His father hated him. He literally tried to kill him three times. For the first 15 years of his life, Graham Cook was not allowed to come downstairs and associate with the rest of his family. He said the worst two days of the year were always his birthday and Christmas. Because on his birthday, when he could finally come downstairs, he would see presents wrapped for him. And his dad would look at him, pick up a hammer, and smash all of his gifts. And on Christmas, while his brothers and sisters were opening presents, his dad would look at Graham Cook and say, you weren't good enough this year. And then he would take Graham's presents into the front yard and light them on fire. Jesus redeemed Graham Cook on all days, his 19th birthday. I love that. Jesus redeemed Graham Cook, and now Mr. Cook has a wonderful ministry, sharing the love of the Father. His message is very simple. God is a Father, and He loves you. Talk about redemption. Well, One night, Graham Cook, he had a dream, and in this dream, he was in heaven. And he hears the sound of this army marching towards him. And as it gets closer, he realizes it's not an army. It's actually just one man. And as this man gets closer, he realizes it's Jesus violently and aggressively marching straight towards Graham Cook. He walks up to Graham Cook and he says, Give me back my stuff. Graham Cook is stunned. He's like, I, I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about, Lord. Give me back my stuff. Graham says, I, Lord, I, I don't have anything. Of your everything that I have, you gave me. Everything is yours. I, I don't understand. Jesus says that's not true. I want my stuff back. You have my stuff. Grand Cook, he's panicking. He's crying. He's Lord, just, please, just tell. I'm confused. Just tell me what you mean. What stuff do I have of yours, and I'll give it to you. Jesus says the pain that you're holding on to. The anger and the rage, the jealousy, the shame, the guilt, the humiliation, your self-consciousness of what other people think of you. That poverty spirit that thinks you're never going to have enough. I paid for all of that. Now give me back my stuff. Jesus paid for everything that flowed down from Adam. Do you understand that? We can understand the big things. But his blood pays for all of it. And it all belongs to him now. If Jesus, Is Jesus payment enough to redeem you from the curse of Adam? Or are you holding on to something that belongs to him? Everything that came as a result of sin now belongs to Jesus because He bought it. Stop dragging around the things that Jesus paid to take from you. Look, life is going to happen. The world is going to try to give you anger and jealousy. The world is going to try to give you its bitterness and its fear and its worry and its sickness. But redemption is means that we now have the right to refuse to receive those things. They all belong to Jesus now, not to us. In exchange for those things, He's given us something else instead. In exchange, He's given us love, joy, unspeakable, peace, That surpasses understanding. Which means there's going to be times where you have to lay down your right for understanding so that you can pick up his peace. Patience. Kindness in the face of enemies that are trying to persecute you. Hello, Middle East. Self-control. When your flesh wants to control you, you say no. He has given us all of these things instead. He emptied himself and he took on the form of all of those things so that you could become the righteousness of God. The divine became flesh so that the flesh could become one with the divine. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. He took everything of Adam that required redemption And he nailed it to the cross. And redemption demands that it stays there. Now here's the rub for many of us. It's easy for us to accept the impact that Adam had on humanity. But yet we minimize the impact that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has on humanity. Through one man's disobedience, sin entered the world. And through one man's obedience, redemption has come to the world. What Adam did has been undone in Christ. Praise God forever. So why are so many of us still under the burden of the curse of Adam? Why are so few believers actually living victorious lives of redemption because religion has made salvation the ultimate when in the kingdom salvation is merely the entry point we get saved we get somebody else saved we live with this unspoken expectation that we're going to try our hardest to live like christ but in the back of our minds we're convinced That all we can hope for is the standard that we see in others, not in Jesus. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6.20 You were bought at a price. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Present tense, are. You are the house of the living, all-consuming, beautiful, wonderful, uncreated, eternal, glorious, living God. God lives inside of you. You are the temple of God. Why? Because you were bought. He now owns you, not this world. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus says in John 8, verse 36, He who the Son sets free is still bound up in sin, temptation, and defeat. No, he who the Son sets free is free. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, Christ has made us free. So don't become entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If you're carrying around the bondage of fear, shame, of doubt, Of a poverty spirit, of self consciousness, of sickness, or anything else that flows down from Adam, then, friend, hear the gospel this morning. He became all of those things for you. None of it belongs to you anymore. And he wants his stuff back. Now, some of you are thinking that this sounds nice, but all of that's gonna happen. When you die and go to heaven, that the freedom that comes from Christ will come in heaven. But friend, if it takes dying for you to get free, then what saves you Jesus or dying? There's another question you could chew on this week. That answer will change your life. First John 4:17 says this. Love has been perfected in us so that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, so are we. When? In this life. In this life. We can have boldness when we stand before him. Why? Because as he is, so are we in the life that we've lived. This is redemption. John wrote these words. John, the beloved, the one who was leaning against the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. John, the one who referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. It's something about the revelation of Jesus' love that leads to the freedom that it brings. As he is, so are we. In this life, the person sitting next to you is not the standard for the Christian life. Jesus is. Your experience is not the standard for the Christian life. Jesus is. My experience tells me that Jesus does not raise the dead. I've prayed for two dead bodies to come back to life. And afterwards, there were funerals for each one of them. My experience says he doesn't do that anymore. But this word says that all that he did, so will you do. And greater works than these. As he is, so are we. And you can't tell me Jesus doesn't raise the dead. His name is the resurrection and the life. Reminded of the story of Lazarus, Jesus comes and Martha finds Jesus and she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then she collects herself and she says, But I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last days. Martha has good theology. What does Jesus say? I am the ancient of days. The resurrection has come. So then what happens? Mary goes to Jesus, says the exact same thing. But there was something in in Mary that pulled resurrection out of Jesus. You can't tell me Jesus doesn't raise the dead. I don't care what experience says. Your experience does not define the Christian walk. Jesus does. Redemption is the payment for your sin. End. The regaining possession of the divine life that God intended for you to have when he created you. Now why is this all important? Is this some sort of best life now, prosperity message? I hope most of you know me well enough to know that is not my message. My message is this. I believe that a redeemed church is a beautiful church. A beautiful church that the world cannot deny and cannot resist. I believe the church that overcomes is a church that brings glory to the name of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. He deserves to receive the reward of his suffering. And a beautiful victorious bride is the reward that he deserves. It's what he paid for. The kingdom that Jesus paid for you to receive is so much more than forgiveness. Salvation may be the ticket. It's a great place to start, but a terrible place to stop. I'm going to tell you a a story to close. It's a story of this man who, he didn't have many resources but he had this dream to one day go on a cruise. So he saved up all of his money, and one day he was able to buy a little ticket to get on that cruise ship. Now he knew that he wasn't going to have extra spending money, so he, he packed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And the day comes, and he, he finally gets on the cruise ship. And he finds his way to his little room and he sits down with his little ticket and his bag of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And oh, man, so happy to finally be here. Someone comes and knocks on his door. Hey, we're going to go upstairs and grab some dinner. Why not you come with us? No, 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 I, I, I'm good. I, I've got some here. I'll just, you guys have fun. As the, as the week goes on, he hears everyone upstairs laughing and playing in the pool and dancing and having a great time ha- eating all the food they could dream of. and he's just down there in his little room with his, his ticket and his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Finally, on the last day, someone comes and says, "Hey, it's, it's time to go. Wasn't it a great trip? Wasn't this amazing?" All of the food and the dancing and the swimming. It was just unbelievable. And the guy was like, no, no, I I just stayed in the room. I couldn't afford all that stuff. And the man looks at him bewildered. He says, it was all included in the price of the ticket. How many of us are living in our little room with our little ticket and our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches When God delights to give us the kingdom. That's Bible, man. That's not Neil. That's Bible. It's the Father's delight to give you the kingdom. It brings Him glory to give you the kingdom. Resolve right now not to live another moment with the poverty mentality. That honors the ticket. And we should honor the ticket. Honor the ticket every day. But look at that ticket as the marriage certificate. That says, this entitles me to intimacy. This entitles me to covenant. And every blessing that flows from that covenant with God. If the worship team could come forward. Redemption means he has bought your ticket. And you have permission to let go of everything the world is asking you to carry. So that you can receive everything that he paid for. I want to pray for you. Father, you are so good. If salvation was all that you ever gave us, it would be more than we deserve. you are so good you bring us home you give us your kingdom your spirit lives inside of us we are now the dwelling place of God Lord I ask that this family would have a deep understanding of what that means Lord that we all would come to a place where we see your goodness and it just makes us hungry for more goodness Father, thank you for the blessing of being sons and daughters brought back into your house. Lord, we love you. We bless your holy name. I pray that these words go deep and they take root and they come to life and they bear much fruit in Jesus' name.